0: What is up, everybody? Hello, hello! Coming to you live once again from the parents' house. We got episode twelve here of the Changabi Show. Welcome in, welcome in. Y'all are probably wondering, what is with the getup, bro? What are you doing? What what the hell is what the hell is this? Someone told me the other day. They said, "Nuge, you need to look more professional." On your show, your show needs to be more professional sounding. And to that, and to that, and to that, I said, Frat Boy is about the most professional. I'm about to go, bro. For those of you that are on Spotify, I am currently wearing my pink polo and my Warriors hat, backwards, of course. You know, you know the vibes, you know the deal. I had to go full brown Frat Boy on this bitch. It's the only way. I'm going to be professional. So to the person that said, I need to wear a suit. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) There was no person who told me I need to wear a suit. But people said I need to sound more professional. I'll try. I'll try. But also, this is who I am. It's just me being goofy, having fun. Um, I like the whole frat boy getup. What do y'all think? What do y'all think? Do you think I should just dress up as a fraternity boy? I don't know. We will see. But we have a lot to cover today. This is the Changabi Show. And who the hell is going to take me seriously like this? So. Let's take off the hat, shall we? All right, look at that. Oh, like that, I go from frat boy to professional. Okay, let's get into the vibes. How are you doing today, and Nuge? Okay, very simple. Honestly, guys, I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, the last uh, week has been pretty busy with school and stuff, so it definitely has taken its toll. Um, but honestly. Bay Area sports have been keeping me going recently. So this is where I put the hat back on. Um, (laughs) The Warriors are 4-0 in preseason. Jordan Poole's looking like a star. That's great. Um, You know, Giants into game five here. Logan Webb pitching. You know, let's see how that goes. Uh, You know, the Niners, let's not talk about them. They're completely useless and don't deserve fans. But, but the point is simple uh sports are killing it right now there's a lot to talk about a lot of tea a lot of drama regardless of what sport you're into so i have been happy for that i've been happy in addition it is pumpkin spice season ladies and gentlemen it is pumpkin spice season all caps on that season um so you gotta enjoy you got to enjoy pumpkin spice beverages. Are y'all into pumpkin spice? Is that something that like people are into? Like, I, or is it just like a white thing? Like I'm not personally into pumpkin spice lattes. Um, I need to go to my local coffee shop because they have a pumpkin pie latte that I've been meaning to try out, but I have not been able to go for the last few weeks. Uh, hence, my bank account balances in the positive. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, it's I, I need to go try a pumpkin pie latte from Great Bear. So shout out to Great Bear if you're listening. Uh, love you guys. Um, My birthday is coming up. That's another thing. Uh, but I already did a whole late night story on that. So I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Uh, but yeah, turning 21. So officially in about a week, I'll start drinking alcoholic beverages on the Changavi show. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the cops can't arrest me then. Nuh-uh. No, they can't. Um, but for real though, we are approaching the one-year anniversary here at the Essential Question podcast. First episode ever released on October 31st of last year, I believe, or November 1st. The channel was made back in September, but the first episode was released in October. Uh, I'm going to be doing a show um, about what it's like to be a year in the game and turning into the sudden brown frat boy that i've turned into aka harvard dropout my name haha. <laughs> um but it is the one year anniversary from when i started this podcast and i feel like i've grown a lot i feel like there's a lot to say so reflection show and emotional sentimental Anuge will be coming soon so get ready um, but this is frat boy age, bro. Backwards hat pink polo. You know the vibes, dude. So nah. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna continue uh with the Changabi show. We got through my vibe. so let's get into the sports topic of the day, and that is John Gruden is out. Out in Las Vegas. He is no longer the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He resigned on Monday during halftime on Monday Night Football when it was reported by Adam Schefter. John Gruden is out. Okay. So here are my thoughts on this. At first, when I didn't have all the information, I thought to myself, I said, okay. It was a horrible email. He said terrible things. He was a fully grown man. So it wasn't like, you know, he was a freshman in high school, freaking, you know, being edgy and listening to like emo music. No, this is a full grown man. But he said some, you know, he said some messed up shit. And there is a group of people that said, you know, uh, he should have been, you know, he should have resigned then. Um, But... uh, and i think you know honestly if he knew that there was more to come i would have resigned right then before you know this whole other backlash of crazy shit would come back to haunt me but you know he's john gruden and i presumed he thought that he wouldn't get any of these emails these other emails leaked um but yeah back in 2011 he said you know uh some black uh, he said regarding a black nfl corporate guy uh i don't know the guy's name exactly something smith uh but he said he had had He had the lips the size of Michelin tires, an incredibly racist thing to say, particularly someone who's black. And then, and then, so that was the first email. And then everyone was like, all right, he said that. It's 10 years ago. Times have changed, blah, blah, blah. I figured that was going to be the rationale. And so we move on. But then on Monday, there's this huge other list of emails that drops. And basically John Gruden gets revealed as... Uh, this horrible person because he, on several occasions, he called the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, the F T slur for gay people. Um, I'm not going to repeat that, uh, because it is not appropriate to say, um, he said some stuff about Jeff Fisher, uh, Jeff Fisher, for those of you that don't know is, was the head coach of the St. Louis Rams, uh, in the mid 2010s. And he was the first... Well, he was the coach that drafted Michael Sam, who was the first openly gay player to, like, be drafted by the NFL. And uh, John Gruden said some stuff. You know, he called, like, Jeff Fisher queer and whatnot for drafting someone. Like, just very immature comments. Not really anything that was, like, um, you know, warranted at all. I mean, you shouldn't be saying that in the first place. But, yeah, none of it was warranted. Um, And then... (sighs) The icing on top of you know his cancellation birthca- birthday cake is that uh, he shared pictures of topless and naked pictures of cheerleaders without their consent. So, <laughs> so he he basically just uh, you know baked himself a cancellation birthday cake and uh, you know got himself fired uh, with his actions. And so it totally makes sense as to why he resigned in the grand scheme of things, as we got more information and I'm sure there's going to be more information coming out soon. Um, What I have to say about it is is it's unfortunate for his players, uh, you know, particularly his black players, which I presume is about 85% of his roster, because that is the average statistic in the NFL that what 80 to 85% of your roster is uh, black. And unfortunately, uh, (laughs) ironically actually uh John Gruden was saying all this homophobic slurs and one of his players on the team his name is Carl Nassib I did I did a segment on him he was the first NFL player to ever come out as gay he was the first NFL player to ever come out as as gay while you know in the NFL and and this was this year this was literally like five months ago and now um It's really got these emails are coming out about his coach basically being a homophobe. So that kind of sucks, particularly for someone who was playing for this guy. Clearly, he was, you know, faking who he was and um, all of that. I mean, in terms of football, I thought John Gruden was an incredibly overrated coach. This was the dude that would peak in September, have a great September, upset one team and then go on to just tank the rest of the year. He was a consistent six and 10, seven and nine squad every single year. Um, so I mean, maybe it's a good thing for the Raiders that they lost Gruden because he was, you know, he was clearly ceiling, but also, I mean, in the grander scheme of things, taking it back to just like his social dust, all the violations and all that, the NFL is clearly cracking down on social justice violations in this. Okay. And it's clear as day as to what they're doing. I mean, we're, we're in a new era in terms of the fact that like you say shit like this multiple times on multiple occasions, whether it be private email servers, whether it be whatever the hell it is. It's gonna come back to bite you. Uh, this is cancel culture era, and this shit may have slid under the rug ten years ago, but now, like, it it's it's not going to. It's the era we live in. It's a very different time of day, and um, and I think that's that's where we're at. I feel again, like I feel bad for Carl Nassif. I feel bad for the African American players on the Raiders, just knowing that your coach was saying all this racist shit. And on top of that fact, he was being homophobic to one of the, you know, first open for, he was being homophobic. I don't know if he was homophobic to Colin Nassib. We can't speculate that unless there's evidence that proves it. But, you know, I feel bad for the people on this team because there were a lot of groups that were affected and, you know, that sucks. Um, so, but it's going to be interesting because the emails have just started to release. I mean, the NFL is saying they have like 250,000 emails or something in their possession. So it's going to be pretty crazy when all of that decides to come out and reveal itself because, oh man, it is going to be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to take time uh, for it all to come out and I, I will be sure uh, maybe not fraternity Anuj, you know, because he might be, you know, social chair at Phi Phi Alpha's Epsilon or whatever. Um, but some version of me will be uh, reporting on what we see or if anything is really significant. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I have to talk about. Gruden, Gruden, though, is out of Vegas and everyone is commenting on it. It's the big story in the NFL. I mean, he's a bum. So shout out to you, John Gruden, for being an absolute bum and an idiot. So... Don't enjoy, I mean, he'll probably have to be ashamed. He'll never get another job in the NFL, particularly in this, Jesus Christ, particularly in this environment. I don't know if you guys heard that. That was a huge, there was a loud ass motorbike outside my house. Anyway, anyway, John Gruden's out and he utterly deserves that, but we need to transition into something else. So let's talk about the social media that I use to promote this podcast. Well, one, one of the outlets, Facebook, Facebook so facebook recently has been having some whistleblowers uh so like you all are probably wondering like what the hell doesn't this shit happen like every year isn't there someone new that comes out with some complaints about some social media application and says they want to testify and you know just leaves? yeah i mean i feel like there's been multiple of these claims in the past but nothing has really been done so I looked into this one a little more and I watched it and I kind of learned a little bit more about the issue that's going on. And I've, I've realized something. I think this one is pretty significant. Um, employees, I mean, well, first of all, it was an anonymous employee that like obtained tens of thousands of pages of like internal memos, emails, whatever you name it, from Facebook files, confidential files from Facebook and copied them. And took them to a law firm and basically said, I want to sue Facebook because I believe that they, as a public corporate, publicly traded company, have violated many violations set forth by the laws of the United States, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and there are employees that are clearly aware that Facebook is toxic for kids, and there was hella research. Uh, finally, this whistleblower reveals herself, right? Okay, fast forward a little bit. Uh, she reveals herself on 60 Minutes on Sunday. And she, uh, her name is Frances ha- Haugen, uh, I believe is how you say her last name. If I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but she was a uh, an employee at Facebook. She worked at several different departments and basically uh, revealed herself to the public for the first time on national television. And She, you know, talked about her story, talked about all the different documents and her concerns with Facebook. And one of her main concerns that she really detailed was the fact that Facebook has information about social or about social media's effect on young kids. So they had she says, according to several memos that she's copied and she showed 60 Minutes, she has details and she has memos that basically state that Facebook is aware of the fact that. Instagram is toxic to and Facebook owns Instagram, by the way, Instagram is extremely toxic to teenage girls. Facebook has that information. Okay. So here's the thing. Facebook is like, uh, I mean, they're, they're a trillion dollar social media company and 60% of people who have internet access in the world are on Facebook. That's a ridiculous amount. I mean, Jesus, uh, And you are, at this point, affecting a large majority of the world. Who am I to say that Frances Haugen is right? Okay, but that was one of the claims she made. Then she went on to say this. She went on to speak out about how national security right now is essentially at risk due to some of the policies that Facebook is putting into place. Why is national security at risk? Facebook, well, this is a fact but also, you know, according to Haugen as well, got rid of their civic uh I forget what it was called. It was like civic engagement uh group at Facebook. They had they had a whole group dedicated to like, you know, election fraud and all misinformation and all that. And they basically got rid of it after the 2020 election citing the fact that, you know, they got out of the 2020 election without riots, without social media misinformation and all of this stuff. And it was greatly curtailed. They got rid of the department after Then a few months later, fast forward, you have the capital insurrection and it's like, what the hell did you just do Facebook? And you know where a majority of the capital insurrection was organized was on Facebook. It was through pages. It was through, um, you know, like organizations. There were several Facebook posts and and all of this stuff was coming through. And Haugen basically cites the fact that in 2018, Facebook had uh, slightly twisted their algorithm to the uh, so that basically content that was hateful or more polarizing or more clickbaity, uh, hence the clickbait, um, became more popular and became more easily able to be spread and distributed amongst the platform, amongst your newsfeed. So, and the interesting part of the whole thing is that she isn't really anti-Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I thought when I was going to watch this interview, she was just going to shit on Zuckerberg. She was going to shit on Sandberg, the whole, you know, Facebook brass. But she really wasn't, you know, mean at all to Zuckerberg. She actually seemed to be pretty empathetic towards him. She seemed to be very nice uh, towards him, considering the fact that she plans on suing him um, in federal court. Uh, she wasn't anti Zuckerberg and she said something along the lines of like Mark Zuckerberg didn't create Facebook to malign groups. Uh, He created it to, you know, have a positive impact. And Facebook has had a positive impact um, in some instances. But the reality is the proposals that he's signing and the action that he is putting into place is highly, highly negative. And it is, you know, not combating against the issues, but rather amplifying them. And, And so that was Haugen's issue. So this all came out like Sunday and Monday and everyone was talking about it. And then on Tuesday, there was a second whistleblower that decided to reveal herself. And her name is Sophie Zhang. And Sophie basically uh, made claims in regards to similar things that Haugen was saying, but um, a little more specified. And she talked about fake engagement. Uh, So like I'm talking like fake bots, liking posts, sharing, you know, engaging with the post, whatever. And she started talking about it from a more international perspective. She has documents and evidence uh, that says that like with the president of Honduras in particular back in 2018 and 2019, um, this, about 70% of his likes, posts, engagement with his Facebook posts were related to, um, were, were fake. They were fake and they were boosting his popularity and basically portraying this fake fucking image that he was you know more popular than he actually was which is a problem right that is a mass that is a massive problem uh if you are looking at it in that way um and then there was also another situation Azerbaijan those of you that don't know I think Azerbaijan I I also really don't Azerbaijan is in kind of that region of like Turkmenistan uh Kyrgyzstan Tajikistan, like kind of near Mongolia ish uh, like bordering China kind of. Um, but Azerbaijan is in that region. And basically, uh, in Azerbaijan, there was a ruling party during an election. I believe it was in either 2018 or 2019 as well that used kind of the pages feature on Facebook and organizations feature to basically create fake political organizations and fake, you know, political activism things to harass the other parties, uh, and basically gain a statistical advantage in the vote and also, you know, be able to spread their message across, uh, social media which, you know, in, in effect is affecting democracies across the world. So Sophie Zhang is saying, listen, this is affecting democracies across the world. Facebook hasn't done shit. Francis Haugen is saying, hey, listen, this is uh, Facebook is affecting um, teenage girls. It's affecting, you know, uh, national security. Like what? So clearly Facebook has they're citing multiple claims of multiple different areas of the company. So they're on fire and Zuckerberg's ass is on fire uh, once again. I feel like it is like every other year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle these claims. Uh, I feel like these, it's important to also note that these two are women. So shout out to them for, you know, standing up and like being like, yo, this shit ain't right. Uh, so, you know, good for you guys. Um, And yeah. So Haugen and Zhang, you know, we'll see if there's more that come out. There's already been two. I'm sure I, I would not be surprised if maybe there's another one or, you know, another whistleblower or something like that. So, Let's see how the whole situation plays out. Uh, but yeah, that's the uh, Facebook whistleblower story right now. Um, I think there's definitely going to be more uh, with this one, but uh, you know, definitely could uh, just end as well <laughs> right over here. Uh, but let's go to this. Let's go to something that's uh, not a current event, really. I mean, it is because they did just release their final season, but let's talk about TV shows for a bit, shall we? Let's talk about On My Block. Okay on my block. This is an interesting one, bro. So I've noticed that this TV show I give on my block a lot of love. I do. I am one of their bigger fans. I've been I've known about the show since they came out with their first season back in 2018. I, you know, have watched the show thoroughly uh multiple times all through all four seasons or well three seasons. Uh and then the fourth season came out last week and I watched it and I loved it. Um, this is a show that gets absolutely no love when it comes to diversity in television, but is breaking so many fucking barriers and no one talks about it. Literally like no one, like I, there's a few friends. Like I, I talked to one friend of mine I had him on the podcast. Shout out Isaiah. We talked about this show. It's literally me and him. were like the only fans. And then I introduced another one of my friends to the show. Um, and he really enjoyed it as well. Uh, but Not a lot of people watch this show. It's it's more it's kind of low key. I don't know if it's just amongst my friend group or like hella people watch it in other friend groups. I don't know. I would love to know what you guys think. But on my block is masterful and people don't know about it and people need to watch it. I think if you if you call yourself someone who likes diversity in television and you watched two seasons of Never Have I Ever, please like Mindy Kaling needs to just watch on my block and take lessons from this show because the way In which this show does like diverse quote unquote woke TV is great. You know, I feel like with woke television, you oftentimes like stop after watching for a season, right? Like Dear White People is so good in so many ways. It's so good at, you know, the messages it's trying to portray and the characters and all of this stuff. It's a very good TV show. It's also very socially conscious and very in your face. And that's okay. And like, that's okay. It's just not something that you're going to like binge. You need to process, you need to watch it, you know, but on my block is also kind of woke in that way, but it doesn't force the messages down your throat. It's subtle. It's subtle. It They do a great job of getting into the weeds of the world and then kind of pulling back the curtain and showing you the bigger picture. I think the way that On My Block does it is probably better than uh you know 85 90% of woke TV that I've seen in my you know day. <laughs> There's a reason Netflix has already ordered a spinoff of On My Block, right? This show they know they have fucking gold here. Like this is the the characters, the world, everything. The world building is fantastic. The characters are fantastic. Like the circumstance, like the the problems, the fun, like Everything is like it's real. It's real, but it's also got these elements of fantasy to it because there is the 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 crux of the show is based on this huge mystery. It's based on this huge conspiracy, and you know, and it it is a little unrealistic at times. Yes, there is a lot of you know weird elements to it, but it's weird in its own way, and that's what I like about it. Is it's unapologetically weird, and they try new shit. And when they know that it doesn't work, they'll move on and they'll you know leave that right. and the, the way I describe this show to people, like people are like, well, how do you describe it? It's simple. I think it's the Goonies, except it's black and brown. The stakes are hella high and the characters are extremely Gen Z. That is what this show is. That is what, the this is what On My Block is. It's, it's, it's a Goonies with higher stakes, black and brown characters and Gen Z. So, you know, you, this is, it's kind of like, It's kind of like a modern-day Goonies with, you know, just, it's a modern, it's a more modern-day look with Goonies, except it's more based in reality, and, um, for those of you that haven't watched the Goonies, you should, it's it's good, it's a fantastic kids movie, um, I, I, I'll definitely have to go back and rewatch this fourth season, I watched it, you know, I'm busy, I got school, I got a podcast, I got you guys to worry about, um, But I'll definitely go back and watch it because the show has consistently, consistently released a quality product, but has gotten such little love. So I feel the need to be like, you know what, everybody, watch on my block because you will not regret the decision you make if you do it. You will be a probably you can it's a bingeable show. You'll binge it in a couple weeks. Um, four seasons, quick, quick episodes, 20, 30 minutes, nothing too crazy, um, but also extremely deep in a lot of ways and has a uh, tackles themes of loss, grief, trauma, being growing up in the hood, rough neighborhoods. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, this last season was awesome. This last season was absolutely awesome. It was one of probably the better seasons of television I've seen in a while. I was actually not expecting this last season to be great. Uh, because the third season kind of dropped off a little bit. Uh, I was expecting it to kind of continue on that same vibe, but no, they flipped it. They flipped it really nicely, and they kind of took it back to what they knew best, which is what I appreciate. You know, I can... respect, And this is the thing. People are all over TV shows that are like, uh, they, you know, that dip. But the shows that are the best... Every show dips for a period of episodes for a season. Every show has a dip. I don't care how if it's the best show of all time. Even The Sopranos dips for a little bit, okay? Every show has a dip, but it's what you it's what the creators come up with when things are not going right. When when the show is kind of going off the rails a little bit, it's what the it's what the creators come up with to get back to that bread and butter, and that's when it's like okay. I I can see it, right? Like, oh, okay. They, they, this is a good show because they know how to come back to that, you know, peak level content. That is what a good TV show is. And this is what—that's what, what on my block did. They hit a little bit of a dip in season three. I'm not even gonna lie. If you guys enjoyed season three, feel free to tell me why it was good. Because I thought a lot of it was pretty mid. I thought it was C plus work. But in this season, they really came back to what they knew best, and it was B plus A uh, A quality work most of the way through. So, yeah on my block, very little love mainstream uh Squid Games released the same weekend as on my block did and so thus on my block took major Ls. But oh yeah, and also, I mean Sierra Capri is the star of this show. Uh she plays Monse. I think she is going to be a star in Hollywood. I would not doubt if you start seeing Sierra Capri uh in other movies and TV shows. She's really really good. She's very talented. Um, same with, uh, I believe it's Diego Torcero is an, is uh who plays Caesar. He, uh, phew, the performance he puts on in this season is really, really good. Um, but you gotta go back and watch the whole show. Don't watch this season, like, but watch the whole show. It deserves all the love. Uh, it's over now, which sucks because season four is the finale but definitely go back and give it a watch because I highly recommend this to everybody. Um, it doesn't matter if you're old, if you're young. I think everybody will find some sort of joy in this show because it's it's a, it's a little bit of a throwback, but it's also just a lot of fun and it's got a good energy to it and I enjoy it. So definitely go give it a watch. But let's talk about the show that everybody's been talking about because no one wants to talk about On My Block because every single person in the United States of America on TikTok, on, in the world, in life, is talking about this show it's been dubbed into like 31 different languages it's all over the world it started in South Korea we have to talk about Squid Game I I could not get through a week of the Changabi show without talking about Squid Game because literally everyone and their mother is talking about it so I have to okay I gotta do it for the content I gotta do it okay so we gotta talk about Squid Game for a second so let's do it okay I have a pretty interesting take when it comes to Squid Game, but uh, let me preface it by saying this. Y'all remember that period of time from like 2013 to 2017 where every single movie that you watched was a dystopian thriller? Literally every single movie that you watched. Maze Runner, Divergent, Hunger Games, you know, like After Earth. <laughs> Do you remember After Earth? Do y'all remember After Earth? Will Smith, Jaden Smith, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That shit was great. That shit was great. I. I hated that movie, but it was so bad. It was so good. But yes, every Planet of the Apes had their revival during that period. Literally every other movie was like a dystopian movie. It like I could not like there were streaks of like 10 movies straight that I would go to the movies to watch a dystopian movie and then, you know, secretly sneak away to a rom com and not tell anybody. Uh, Let's not talk about that phase. (laughs) But yeah, this is a callback to that 2013, 2017, like dystopian thriller era. Is that a problem? No, it's not. Um, I'm just saying that like it reminds me of movies that were kind of made in that four year period that were very dystopian, very you know, uh, not utopian society. Blah blah blah. <sighs> okay, in terms of the quality of Squid Game, I have not finished it. I uh, so I th- it, my opinion could totally change if I watch the ending. I have heard so many things about the ending. I don't know what the ending is. Somehow I haven't been spoiled, but I've gotten through like seven episodes. It's a solid show. It is a solid show. I will give it that. It's a solid show. It's a B, B-plus show. I don't even think it hits the top 25 of shows that I've seen in the past two years, honestly. It's it's not it's not the A-plus show that every single person is talking about. Every single person that talks about Squid Game talks about it like it's the second coming of like every great movie that's ever made. I'll give it that. I, I think Squid Game... I, I think Parasite is a lot better than Squid Game. Um, personally, I think it's more creative. I think it's a I think the way that they build the tension in Parasite is really cool. Um, it's just it's a very uh it's a very different vibe. Parasite Parasite is very cool. Like I, I just like the way that Parasite twists and turns and goes up and down and in the middle. Like Squid Game so far seems to be pretty linear. I'm excited for the end though, because I think the end has a twist in it. I don't know what that twist is, but I've heard people are freaking freaking out over the ending so i'm excited to see it i'll give squid game this though credit it really does a great job with critiquing capitalism it does a really good job at it It, it, the political commentary in this show is really good i think it's understandable if you're from an american point of view if you're from a european point of view even and well i mean it should be understandable if you're from a korean point of view because it is a korean tv show after all um but it's one of those shows that really does like I I like shows that do political commentary, but they do it subtly. And they don't do it without shoving it in your face and saying, we're woke. Here is how we do political commentary. Like they don't do that. Squid Game doesn't do that. Squid Game is like, this show is about trying to survive. It's a dystopian thriller that sci-fi lovers will love. But if you're really a literary guy, like you will look in and like see the allegories and the metaphors and the similes in in this show that... You know, you're like, holy crap! Like that's cool. Like there's just little things, and like I, I truly enjoyed that. And uh, I'm, I've been a fan of the, the subtle kind of work that they've done with the, uh, with, with critiquing capitalism and all that. This is actually a very controversial show, um, in South Korea, uh, because of the fact that you know I think there is so much of that capitalistic uh, critique, and South Korea, for those of you that don't know, is a very, um is like a pure capitalistic economy. There's not really much social nets. There's no you know, social security, government welfare. All of that stuff isn't necessarily like a big thing in South Korea. You're not living off government checks. So people are often forced to borrow from banks and loans, which kind of creates that whole idea in Squid Game of like, you know, these are mostly middle-class people, uh, middle poor, working class to middle-class people who are trying to pay off debts, right? And trying to win the money. Um, I'm trying not to give too much away because I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but it's highly controversial in South Korea, probably because it is making political commentary towards Korea, towards the Korean government and all of that stuff. And I think that's important, but it's caught fire in the rest of the world, particularly in the United States. Obviously, I I feel like this show has definitely caught fire in mostly capitalistic countries because of the fact that it does call out a lot of elements of capitalism for sure, um, and yeah i mean south korea again full on capitalism so it is a little more extreme but than the united states and so which has socialistic influences like i said earlier um but and and yeah i mean it, you see it in the show like the wealth gap is massive there's there's no real middle class in south korea according to the show uh, i'm sure the show is definitely embellished a little bit but there the middle class in south korea is very difficult right it's it definitely leads to a much like larger wealth gap if you have a purely capitalistic economy than you know a capitalistic economy with social be- like social so- socialistic benefits like it things things shift a little bit they change um so that's very interesting uh for sure um but yeah, I mean, I, overall like Squid Game is a solid show so far. Like I have no real problems with it. I'm not like super anti Squid Game or anything. I just think it's a very uh I just think it's a solid show. I don't think it's necessarily like the greatest show of all time like everyone's I, I it has the hype right now and that's why I feel like people are so into it. But, you know, I think I think it'll just kind of be like one of those dystopian shows. Uh again, I have not finished it. So maybe it'll catapult up there but you know we'll see so far seven episodes in it's solid yeah that's probably what i'll say about squid game because there there isn't really much else to say about it to be honest okay so let's get in to our politics topic of the day we talked about squid game we're talking about capitalism let's transition into the politics topic of the day come on now we got two more topics to go let's get it i want to talk about midterms uh, not school midterms. So for those of you that are like, you know, college students like me, you don't worry. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, criticize you. If you got a C minus on your Calc midterm, uh, mom and dad, sorry. No, <laughs> not taking Calc this year. Uh, so that's good. Uh, because I'm a communications manager now and communications majors don't need to take calculus, which was, you know, utterly pointless for me. I questioned the merits of mathematics and all of it, but That is not the point. I'm not here to talk to you about my mathematical therapy issues. I'm here to talk to you about the midterms that we have in 2022. Most of you are like, Anuj, why should I care? This is so boring. Goodbye. Okay, this is why you should care. Because the 2022 midterms are going to have massive consequences on the 2024 presidential election. Which is going to have all the hype? So let's talk about the twenty twenty two midterms for a second, okay? They're obviously a year away, like I said, and they're subject to change. There's definitely a lot in this piece that is going to have that is going to be subject to change because we are a year away and we don't have all the information. We don't even have most of the candidates that are running. But definitely there's this is something to follow. And this is a storyline that everyone's going to be following until November of twenty twenty two where we you know find out what happens. The Democrats are in trouble, okay? That's what I will say. I'm not trying to, you know, side with the Democrats or the Republicans. Like I said, I'm a moderate. I don't really tend to side with anybody politically. I just look at it from like a, 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 you know, a unbiased point of view. Democrats have majority right now, right now, today, the Democrats have the majority in the House, 220 seats to 212 for the Republicans, okay? So they do have the majority. It's a very slight majority. The problem is, for the Democrats in 2022, is that there are a lot of retirements that are happening within the House. Okay. And and they're on both sides, both Republican and Democrat. However, most of the Democratic seats that are retiring are in districts that are either barely Democrat, like I'm talking like, you know, Democrats lead by one percentage point, two percentage points, or are slightly Republican. Republicans lead by one percentage point or two percentage points. They're toss-up districts. So you're looking at a lot of house seats that I'm talking maybe 10 house seats right there that are you know, in slightly democratic districts, swing and, and swing districts, essentially. So these toss-up seats and the you know sudden mass exodus of retirements are definitely something to watch out for. And if the Republicans can take a couple of those 50-50 seats, based on the way this administration has been trending, based on the way that Biden's favorability rating has been dropping, you could see a Republican majority House in 2022, potentially. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how the whole thing's going to crack out. It could very well you know, be the Democrats' favor. We will see. I can't even give you a prediction because I don't really know all the information we don't have to get closer and closer to the day but according to but i was looking at 538 today and they were saying very simply that the democrats are in trouble when it comes to the house and i tend to agree and i looked at more charts and i saw that yes there are a lot of swing districts right now uh in these like retired uh, house people districts that are not Democratic strongholds and they're not Republican strongholds. They're more 50-50. So it's going to be interesting to see how those races play out. Okay. Let's talk about the Senate. So those of you that don't know, the Senate right now is 50, is uh, technically it's, uh, what is it? it? Technically the Republicans, or sorry. Okay. So here's how it works right now. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Kelly Leffler, if you don't remember her, she was like defeated in the 2021 Georgia runoff at the beginning of this year, uh, where Raphael Warnock basically, uh, was able to defeat her in the, in the, uh, uh, in the runoff to take kind of the rest of the, uh, incumbents term. Uh, so that's two years. Raphael Warnock basically has two years in the Senate. Okay. Uh, less, I would argue, probably like a y- little, <laughs> no, two years, two years. He has two years in the Senate. Okay. Uh, and he's a Democrat. And there was another Democrat that won in Georgia by the name of John Ossoff. So both of them won. And so there was two democratic senators that were sworn in as well as one California Senator, but you know, the California Senator, uh, Dianne Feinstein was also Democrat and it just transferred to another Democrat. So, uh, essentially, you know, the addition of two Georgian democratic senators has created, uh, and also, yeah. So the addition of two Georgian democratic senators, as well as the fact that there are two independent senators that tend to kind of side Democratic, has created a, 50, created a 50-50 straight up split in the Senate. Okay, partisan gridlock. You're talking 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, essentially, right? the Two independents kind of, you know, tend to lean Democrat. The thing is, the vice president breaks all ties in the Senate. So 51 to 50, uh, basically, boom, Democrats win everything. So Democrats have control of the Senate right now, ever so slightly, literally like to the slightest extent, as I talked about the retirements are happening. So that's going to be tough for the house, but let's talk about the Senate races, because I think these are the ones that are going to be a little bit tight. And I think the Republicans are going to take the control back from the Senate. They've controlled it for most of the last decade. And I really intend, I really do believe that they're going to take over again. Okay. Okay. So the there's 10 races to watch, but I thought these were the four that have the coolest storylines. So I kind of want to mention them and I want to rattle them off real quick. Okay, so let's get into it. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a really important storyline. So let's get into why. Um, Pat Toomey uh, is the Republican senator and he's going to be retiring uh, at the end of his term. So that basically leaves a completely open competition for the seat in Pennsylvania. So Democrats and Republicans basically are going to both have primaries and they're going to run and uh you know the winner of each primary will face off against each other in general election for the Pennsylvanian Senate seat which is available to anybody. Uh the problem is Pennsylvania is not as democrat as you possibly could be thinking. Biden barely won the state in 2020. Okay, in 2016, this was a Trump stronghold. Trump took Pennsylvania; it was one of the bigger upsets. Hillary Clinton lost Pennsylvania, and uh, partially one of the reasons why she lost the election. Okay, Pennsylvania has been a swing state for a while now. It's not a Democratic stronghold like it used to be. There's three major cities: Philadelphia, Harrisburg, and Pittsburgh. And besides that, it's a lot of rural country. It's a lot of blue-collared workers. It's a lot of coal mine workers, it's a lot of workers that work in the energy industry. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all breaks out. That's why Pennsylvania is a big storyline. And I think if the Republicans pull this Senate victory out, that should tell you that in 2024, Pennsylvania may lean red. And that could have implications for the um, what's it called? The presidential election. Okay. Then you have Arizona. Arizona is very, very interesting. It has been a point of contention for the last, you know, almost four years now. Mark Kelly barely won this state in 2020. I'm talking like he won this. uh, He beat Martha McSally, who was the Republican incumbent, by 50,000 votes. He barely won this state. Okay. Republicans really want Arizona back. It was a stronghold in 2000, 2004, 2008. Uh, Even 12, it was a stronghold. Obama didn't stand a chance in Arizona. Arizona was once considered a red as red state. And now it's drifting blue. So blue to the fact that Joe Biden won this state in 2020. Incredible. Something that literally had not been done since the 80s or the 70s. Arizona is changing. But Republicans insist that there was ballot and voter fraud in this particular election with Mark Kelly. And there is a lot of bad blood between Mark Kelly and the Democrats. Or sorry, Mark Kelly and the Republicans. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that race plays out. Republicans are going to put a lot of money into the candidate that wins that primary and goes up against Mark Kelly. And I'm expecting another very, very close race uh, that could very well end up being a Republican winning. But I think it's going to be close. I think Mark Kelly does have a chance for sure. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Then there's Ohio. Ohio is always a swing state. It always has been since, you know, forever. It's in the Midwest. You know, it can swing either way. Eeny, meeny, mo. mo. Um, but Rob Portman, who is their Republican senator, recently announced and said that he's done and he cited partisan gridlock as one of the reasons for not going back again, uh, going back to uh, fulfill his Senate duties and run for a third term. So this again, open seat in Ohio leads for a toss toss up state, okay? This is 50-50. Democrat Republican some anybody could take this. It's you know, up to anybody uh, at this point. And so it's you know, we'll see what happens. It's it, going to be interesting to see how it plays out. and It's definitely going to be one that people are watching on election night because whichever way that state turns, I mean, you're looking at potential Republican control of the Senate, but also these these races really do have some statistical correlation to how the presidential race is going to play out in 24 because it's kind of like your halfway check-in point of like how we doing we like Biden we don't like Biden and if this republic if it goes republican Senate republican house i would want 24 is going to be highly interesting um and then you have georgia okay which is i mean i talked about a little bit earlier uh so rafael warnock won the seat um and he barely barely won it Okay, barely won the seat. Uh, He's going to have to battle for the full term like Mark Kelly is in Arizona. and It's going to come down to the wire in both these states. His main opponent right now, this is going to shock you guys, seek his main opponent right now in Georgia, who is favored to come through the Republican primary is a guy by the name and you guys, you sports fans out there have definitely heard this name, Herschel Walker. Yes, I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys running back. I'm talking about the University of Georgia legend running back. Okay, this is the guy. He is polling very highly in Georgia. He's going to probably win the, as of right now, there's still a lot of time before the Republican primary in Georgia. But he is one of the higher polling candidates. He is seemingly one of the favorites to come through that Republican primary and give Raphael Warnock a challenge. Y'all might be thinking, like, what? That's so stupid. He's never going to win. You see the name Herschel Walker in the South? He's a Trump ally. He's Herschel Walker. He's got clout. That name has clout. He is beloved in the state of Georgia. And that is going to be a race and a half to win for Warnock. It is going to be a race and a half to win uh, because Herschel Walker is beloved. It's straight up beloved. And it's going to be very, very, very close, I think. Um. Yeah. And also, Missouri is also reported to be a state of contention, but I just do not believe the reports that it is because Trump carried the state by 14 in uh, 2020. And I I just, I really don't see it being a big state. I don't see there being a Democratic senator that wins this state, uh, even though there is an open seat. I don't think so. But it's going to be a tough battle for the Dems. Like I said, they do have a shot, and if they do maintain control, good for them, if they do maintain control of both the House and the Senate, it does definitely mean that the Democrats have the edge in 2024. If they lose one, then yeah, you should start to be concerned. And if they lose both, I think you could be looking for a Republican candidate to take the White House in 2024, which concerns a lot of people because this is an absolutely pivotal election. Because we don't know if Joe I think there's a less than 50-50 chance that Joe Biden runs. Uh, because of the fact that he's going to be 81 years old by the time the New Hampshire primary rolls around for 24. 81. That is ridiculously old. I do not think he's going to be able to finish out this. Like, I I think he's a one-term president. Unfortunately, I do believe that means Kamala Harris is going to be the uh, uh, presidential, uh, is going to try to run again for president. But I hope it's an open Democratic primary and we'll get to see some of the candidates that the Democratic Party puts out. And same with the Republicans. Uh, But that, you know, as all Democrats are afraid of, djt he's lurking in the shadows he's always lurking and donald trump could come back in 2024 and throw this fucking country for a wild election so that's why i'm excited 2024 is going to be crazy the election is going to be insane um but these senate races are definitely ones to watch out for for sure uh for 2022 and if these senate races flip a certain way you could start to feel comfortable about a democratic candidate but if they don't then we'll see what happens righty, Okay. I talked a lot about politics there. That was long, but we're going to do one last topic and we're going to call it a night. Uh, so I had a question that I put up on Instagram and I basically said, NorCal or SoCal, what do y'all think? Most people voted NorCal. I totally expected that because of the fact that most people on my personal Instagram are from Northern California, baby. Let's go. Um, so barrier LA. I thought I would answer the question for myself and give you my take. Okay, here it goes. Of course, uh, I will say the Bay area. The Bay area, the the reason why I love the Bay so much is very, very simple. Okay. It's because people are weird. It's because the culture is weird out here. You can be your authentic weird self and no one is going to judge you in L.A., people are hella freaking basic you if you don't have an instagram with more than ten thousand followers or a tiktok or have social media cloud people are like I oh, on like that's so weird in the bay like you can get away with saying things like yeah for show," yada that mean and just like be cool right you can't do that down in la people in la if you do that will think you're fucking weird that's what I love about the Bay Area is your—you can be yourself, you can be authentic, you can be fun, and it's—it's it's kind of this, you know, it's a—it's a cool culture. I, obviously, home prices are hella high. Like, I'm not even gonna cap on that. That's yeah, home prices are ridiculous here. Okay, I'm hoping that prices tank so I can live here for the rest of my life. But San Francisco has this unique culture about it. It has, it has this unique feel to it that no really other city in America does. Um, you know, the the Golden Gate, like, just the downtown. Like, the whole city is designed in this kind of weird fashion, which not very many – it's right by the bay. Like, it's just a very unique city, and it's one of the most unique cities in, in this country, really. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, it's just different. It's very different. It may not be like the cleanest city in the world. Yes. There's hobos everywhere. Yes. Parts of the city smell like urine. Absolutely. I'm not saying any of those things are factually incorrect, but I, there's just something about that city. There's something about that city. There's something about this area, man, the air, I don't know what it is. It just gives me, it gives me life. I love it. And, uh, And I I haven't lived in Los Angeles. I lived in the Inland Empire for about six months. And I have to say I was not a fan. Um, But, you know, to each their own. And if you like LA, that's cool. You know, there is definitely a big appeal to LA. I see it. You know, the the Hollywood, the weather's better down there. Um, There's just a lot more happening, uh, I would say. I mean, the Bay is very happening. But like LA is like, dude it's an unpredictable life like you you get you're surrounded by all sorts of things but i'll tell you this very people the you know the culture out here is passionate it's weird it's funky it's fun um and it's filled with people who just want to have a good time and i like that and it's a low it's a lower key city is what a lower key area is what i like about it it's not people who are like trying to be something that they're not um sometimes it is you know the bay definitely does have its pretentious motherfuckers but it is filled with a lot of people who are like very low-key very chill um just very nice and uh and I respect that and I respect the low keyness of the bay and I respect the fact that I could wear this in the bay area if I were to wear this around with like cargo shorts people would compliment me on my outfit I like that I like that about the bay plus I got all their sports teams in the background so what is there not to hate what is there not to uh, I mean, I've heard people like straight up hate on the Bay Area. They're like, oh my God, like it's dog water, like blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, like, yeah, you grew up in the suburbs. Like, yeah, it sucks. I totally, totally get that. You know, like it wasn't happening growing up or whatever. Like you wanted it. But like, dude, you get so many opportunities out here in the Bay. Like you get so much stuff you can do. Um, It's it's really just a, like, honestly, there's so much shit happening here. And there's, it's, it's the, culture of innovation for a reason you know it's there's a reason why tech exists in the bay area well i mean because of the fact silicon was founded you know (laughs) in the south bay but but i mean the bay's just got its unique feel to it where i feel like if you come here you are accepted for who you are you could be weird you could be funky you could you know do your thing and not be judged for it and that's what i like about it and it's filled with a lot of people who self-start and i like that. And I think LA has the same, but it's just, I don't know. I grew up here, so it's different. But that, that's my take on the Bay. I'm always Bay Area for life, um, even over LA. And and that's how I feel. And there's, you know, no real rant to it. But that's all I got for you all today. My computer's about to die and I need to go to bed because it's 1247 in the morning and my parents will Freaking yell at me if I continue talking. So if you guys liked it, if you guys like the show, like and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Spotify, please, please, please hit the follow button, por favor. Uh, that would be much appreciated. I hope you like the frat boy look today. I tried to look more little more professional for you guys out there. Um and uh, you know, I know you can't see me if you're on Spotify, but picture picture your boy, little fratty. Uh but yeah, that's that's all I got. Thank you guys so much for everything. Uh, been a year almost since we started doing this and I've seen so much growth. So thank you guys so much. Uh, That's all I got and I'm out of here. Peace.